to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I will be reading verses 11 through 15 and verse 29 through 33. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse 29. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out, and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, historical, instructive word to our hearts, to our minds, and to our affections. Amen. Father, you're good. You're wonderful. The message, the telling of the historical reality of the fulfillment of prophecy in your son, in his death, in his resurrection is the very power of salvation by your hand. You are good. May we revel in it this morning to the glory of your holy name. Amen and amen. So what we see this morning now as we pick up in the book of Acts, first is a very wealthy woman who's a Gentile, and she's a God-fearer, which means... She, she believes in the Hebrew Scriptures, the God of the Jews, this God who has created all things. And that's what finds her most likely now on Saturday, on the Sabbath, down by the river with a number of other women most likely praying. And then while Paul and Silas are locked up in jail. There's a prison guard who, after we will see in the weeks to come, was utterly frightened by the miracles that God did and brings them to his house. And then he says to them, what must I do? 
to be saved. And so Paul and Silas, they preached the gospel of forgiveness of sins through Jesus alone and through their faith alone. He preached it to Lydia and to her family. And he preached it to the jailer and to his family. And that very gospel was the power of God unto their salvation forever. And therefore, Paul and Silas took them and baptized them. So here's the first question as we read that passage. What really happened? What happened here? And the simple but profound answer is that the message of the gospel, the truth of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That very message, along with the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit, opening these persons' hearts to what they heard, caused them to say, How can I be saved from my sin and my guilt and find everlasting forgiveness? That's what happened. The clarity of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. They, by the message and by the work of the Spirit, had their eyes opened to the reality that the greatest need for them or for any human being in this world is not air. It's not food. It's not sleep. It is to be forgiven forever. For all their sins against the holy creator. And they heard that that forgiveness is free. It's utter grace. It is available to all who will have it to all who will believe, and that it comes only through Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. That preacher who was killed on a cross, who came from an obscure town in Nazareth. These Gentiles heard it. Their family members heard it. And there was great rejoicing as they confirmed it with their public proclamation through baptism. This is what they heard Paul preach. These are the words that came to them as the greatest news they had ever run across in their lives. Yes, baptize us. And so this morning... We are also sharing in the joy of two persons publicly confessing Jesus as their personal Savior through water baptism. And what we see here in Acts 16, what we just read, is what we actually see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and, and is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what happened to them. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God Himself, His sword is the preaching of the Gospel. It is the Word of God. And He mercifully cut Lydia and the jailer and their family so that they would cry out in a way they never dreamed they would have before. How can I be saved from the Creator and my sin before Him? And they told Him the Gospel. Great news! This work of the Gospel, this work of the Word is the cutting of the, of the heart that produces in us sinners a felt need. When people come to the place and ask, how can I be saved? How can I be forgiven? Tell me. Well, now you know. You know the work of the Spirit is upon them. And so Paul and Silas, they told them exactly how. They preached the Gospel. They told them their situation and what they needed. What we all need. What Justin and Matthew need. And in our journey through Acts, it's been a while, but all the way back in chapter 2, verse 38 of Acts, Luke has already set the stage for what's happening here when they go under the water. And this baptism that we see in chapter 16, he's not going to continue to repeat himself and tell you all that Paul said about that because Peter has made it clear after the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. They said, what must we do then, Peter? And his answer was this. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They needed forgiveness, and they needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every human being is in need of God's forgiveness. As Romans 3.23 makes crystal clear, every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul unpacks that even further in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says to baptized believers this, before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which, in which you lived your life, in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we, all of us, were by our very nature children 
of God's wrath and judgment, just like the rest of mankind. There's the situation that produces the felt need. Silence. Paul, what do I do? Matthew and Justin, they were created by the one and only holy God. And they were born into this world as sinners, as wrongdoers, against God. And God's commandments and His moral laws are to them a mirror of their personal guilt before this holy God. Just, just let it sit. Because that's important for what we're going to witness in this play, this drama. And I want to sit there for a little bit before we move on to that point. Because having said that, that is the reality. But our culture today, more than when I was a younger man, our culture at large, the very air of relativism that we believe, that we, that we breathe here in America is an absolute, I use that term on purpose against relativism, it is an absolute lie. And it's everywhere. It's in K through 12. It's in your universities. It's permeating Christian universities. It's in your sitcoms and your TV shows and your newscast and in your politics. It is everywhere. And at its core in our culture, it, it preaches you are the end, you are ultimate. You make up your own truth. Self and your self-esteem is ultimate. And at the core of it all, it preaches. No, there are no ground rules to this game of life. Don't let anybody tell you that. Just find yourself. There are no structures that are outside of you. In other words, let's just say it more clearly. This is what the culture is about. The biblical worldview needs to be destroyed. The mantra of our time is this. The way to your healing, the way to your fulfillment, the way to your growth and finding yourself and finding your place is stop measuring yourself and your life and your actions and your thoughts by external standards. Stop it! And particularly by the standards of the God of the Bible. But instead make yourself Make your feelings, make your natural bents, your natural inclinations the measure of what is good, of what is acceptable. And by all means, 
get rid of negativity. Get rid of negativity, especially the idea of the threat of a God who created you and will judge you based upon his eternal holiness and his revealed commands. That's everywhere. And what a horrific worldview that is. This post-modern relativism of there is no actual objective truth but, 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 but your personal subjective truth. What is so horrific about that is that it eradicates the beauty of God's grace of forgiveness through Jesus Christ alone. It sounds so wonderful in our age, in our time, amongst our neighbors and those we live amongst and family members to just say, yeah, okay, we believe in a God, that's fine, but there are no real laws. There are no real standards that we have to live by. There are no real expectations. All that does is kind of make life a bummer. There are no commandments, and there's definitely no threat of judgment to come. But instead, God's there, and He's there to simply affirm your life choices. It feels good feels, and what we define today is loving. And if there is no God, then that's true. If there is no eternal, without beginning, creator of all things that are not God, if there is not a God who has created then it is absolutely logical and true in no two ways about it. There are no actual objective standards. There is no such thing as good versus evil. There is no such thing that actually objectively exists as right versus wrong. And there absolutely is no judgment to come. But if there is a God, a God who created every single one of us in His image. And He is holy within this philosophy of life that is everywhere. It destroys what people desperately need. It puts a, a steel, 12-inch thick steel around their soul and their mind We all need is for God to forgive our sins, all of them, forever. What Matthew and Justin 
desperately need is the forgiveness of their sins by the God who created them. And the great news of the gospel that the Apostle Paul just preached to Lydia and her family and to the jailer and his family is that God predetermined from the foundation of the world to send his eternal son to become a human being in order to be slaughtered on a cross for the sins of every sinner who will call upon the name of his son and what he has done for them and having conquered the grave through the resurrection. <coughs> he is alive and grants forgiveness of their sins. And it is therefore through water baptism this morning that we are going to witness. It is through that baptism that we who have come to faith in Jesus, we dramatize that. What we will be witnessing is the dramatization of Justin and Matthew, of what has taken place in them and before God, that is this, that they have responded to Paul's answer. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Baptism it portrays, it, it pictures, more than just forgiveness, it's all tied up. It, it portrays and it signifies their union with Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter's words in response to what you are to do back in chapter 2, verse 38. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that means that from your initial crying out to the Lord, yes, I receive your forgiveness. I believe in you. The Holy Spirit is with you, will be in you, will remain in you, will work in your life, throughout your life, until your death. It's a promise. Peter, in that statement, he's answering the question, how do we get all of our sins forgiven, wiped away, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? And his simple answer is repent and be baptized. First, repent it, it, it doesn't mean just feel remorse and bad about your sins. Oh, it means that. That is what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is about. That's what the cutting of the Spirit does in the conscience. Oh, we, by God's mercy and grace, feel an overwhelming sense of our own sins in light of God, His truth, His commandments, and in light of the beauty of the grace of God in the gospel. But along with the sorrow over our sins, it means now, 
following through on that conviction and turning around and changing your worldview, your thought processes, your mind and your heart in order to live, to walk differently. By God, the Holy Spirit, the Scripture. Listen, listen to, to what the Lord Jesus said to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in chapter 26 of Acts. He says this, Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes to the Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn. There it is. And, and repent, its basic definition is to make a turn from where you've been going and now I'm going differently. So that they may turn from darkness to light. And they turn from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are set apart by faith in me, Jesus. That repentance is turning away from darkness to light, to God, away from Satan in his ways. Repentance is this about face, this changing of direction of the way in which I will now walk. And it is with Jesus. And it is with His people I have been set apart with all of those others who before me have been set apart. And then Peter adds, and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. In the New Testament, there was such a very close connection in the minds of the apostles between persons saving faith and their baptism. In the New Testament, the idea of an unbaptized Christian was utterly foreign to the early church because they assumed that an obedient believer would submit to the command of Jesus and the waters of baptism. As Jesus declared some of his very last words before he ascended to heaven to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Peter, back in chapter 2, says, Receive the forgiveness of your sins by repenting and believing in the name of Jesus Christ your Lord, which you signify by your baptism. Okay. That's what Paul and Silas are teaching Lydia and their family. Clearly, that's what they're teaching the jailer and his family. Your personal faith in this gospel I just gave to you. Oh yeah, and you're, you believe, don't you? Your faith in the death 
and resurrection of our Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That faith in you, that's how you're saved through His grace. Alone. Your belief. Your clinging. That's essential. And then He tells them, you persons, who do this? It's a sign. The Spirit has worked. You're born again. And now you go under the waters of baptism, which is the external drama, play, and personal for you, your expression of your faith in union with Jesus Christ. And so in a few minutes... We will be baptizing these two young men. But before we do, I want to turn to one other passage. So that, I mean, look, I've always been this way. In my adulthood, I finally decided, what is Shakespeare all about? So before I would watch plays, I like to watch them, not read them. They're meant to be play acted. But I would try to learn something about them because if not, it's so hard until the 10th time you see it to grasp what's happening on stage. Something's going to be happening here on stage. And Paul lets, it, lets us know in Romans chapter 6. So if you have a Bible or an iPhone, turn there. Paul unpacks the drama of the baptism of his people. And the first thing he shows us in this passage is that water baptism portrays our death. Justin's death. Matthew's death. In the death of Jesus. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. And that means at least two significant things. Matthew and Justin's sin nature that they were born with and lived in, their old, rebellious, unbelieving self died. We're going to see in a minute how. At that moment, Christ made them alive. There was a difference. I love him. I believe in him. That old self that couldn't love him, couldn't believe with Christ as your treasure, that died. That's what that means. And it means something else too. Oh, something glorious. For all of us who are in Jesus Christ, our baptism portrayed, that our future death, it will not have the same meaning that it would have had if Jesus did not die our death for us. In other words, if, if we would go on in this life 
and physically die without Christ, without Jesus having died our death, then our future death would have been a horrific experience of entering into eternal, just, holy condemnation. But not anymore. Not for Lydia. And not for this prison guard. And not for their families who believed. And so we see that, that our baptisms, that it portrays the work of the Holy Spirit Himself uniting us spiritually with Jesus Christ and His atoning death on the cross. In other words, we are united to Him spiritually so that His death Yes, even 2,000 years ago and planned before the foundation of the world. His substitutionary death becomes our personal substitution. And His then life. Proved through His bodily resurrection forever as a human being. His life becomes our life before God. Which then Paul goes on to say, and that's the second main point Paul makes. Our baptism portrays not just our death in Jesus, it portrays our new spiritual life and a future resurrection life. Start again. Verse 4. Paul says, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, we too, right now, who are still mortal, and we will physically die, and we will await Jesus' second coming and the resurrection of their bodies. Somebody's referring to now. He says, in this life now, we too, coming up out of the waters of baptism, we too might walk in newness of life. Justin and Matthew will not, in other words, stay under the water of burial and death. They will be raised up out of that water, picturing the new life that Jesus mercifully gave to them through the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the most well-known, deservedly so, verses in all of the New Testament is Paul. He cries out. This is his life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified, killed, dead with Christ. Okay, I'm alive. But it's no longer I who live. But Christ now, who lives by His Spirit in me. No, 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 I'm alive. I am Paul. I didn't lose my identity. In the life that I, I, Paul, now live, right now in the flesh, in my mortality, I live by faith. That's the new life. By trust in the Son of God who loved, not loved everybody genuinely, True? His, I know now, because I'm alive. He loved me. 
gave himself for me. Oh, Justin and Matthew, I hope you feel it. Jesus didn't suffer and die. And in with the clocks ticking, sun going over slowly, the earth turning in time and space, just for a generalized idea that someone might believe and be saved one day and then I'll get to know who they are. Before you were ever created, He knew you by name and He went to the cross for you. And for all of us can be assured of that who believe. And in that sense, he did not go to the cross for everybody. And so that newness of life that Paul is talking about, it is the life of ongoing faith in Christ. The day-by-day trusting in God's promises and commands for our lives. And so as we baptize these two young men, we are portraying visibly what happened to them when they were miraculously (coughs) converted to Christ. The dead, rebellious, sinful nature died. Died with Christ. Died with Christ's death for their sin. And this is signified by going down under the water in burial. And at that same moment, we're picturing what has happened before they are baptized. At that same moment and instance, God made them alive together with Christ. Jesus' everlasting life in humanity, communicated through God, the Holy Spirit, has become in new birth their life. And this is signified by rising up out of the waters baptism. And so may all of us who are believers know then this is what it means to be a Christian. To go on living our lives in the reality of what our baptisms portray. Mm, Just a few minutes. So this is how we're going to do this. As we are worshiping and song and singing, the communion elements will be passed out. And for all who are baptized believers in Christ, you're going to partake of the cup and the bread. And you're going to hold them actually, or in this case today, you may want to set them down, whichever easier, because we are then going to first perform the baptisms. And then we're going to serve Holy Communion to Matthew and to Justin for their very first time 
and we are going to partake of communion together. Okay, we're clear on this. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this glorious